You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. And once again, thank you for being with us in worship. Today we're wrapping up our study in the book of Habakkuk. My topic is just a beautiful topic, uh, embracing the gospel of God. And our focus this morning is going to be on one verse, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. I would contend that this is one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Why do I say that? It's quoted in Romans 1.17, in Galatians 3, uh, verse 11, and in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 38. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous will live by his faith. It's a hinge verse from the Old to New Testament. And when properly understood, folks, here's what's going to happen. There will be clarity about the gospel of God from Genesis to Revelation, ultimately revealed through Jesus Christ. Now, to share with you the significance or importance of Habakkuk 2.4, I want to take you back 500 years uh, to the early 1500s. And maybe you're familiar with a gentleman named Martin Luther. He's known as the Great Reformer. And in the early 1500s, he was serving as a Catholic monk, very religious, very devout, all in, uh, if you will. However, shockingly, Luther had a disdain, a hatred for the holiness and the righteousness of God. The reason was, is he had a works righteousness religious system that he embraced. In other words, he was taught to perform, to do, to earn God's favor, to merit God's blessing. But Luther knew his own heart, and he knew how sinful he was, and he never felt like he could add up or make the grade. And so he literally hated the righteousness of God. He dreaded it. But then, one day, Martin Luther is reading the book of Romans, chapter 1, and he stumbles across verse 17, and he reads, the righteous will live by his faith. That was the aha moment. That was his epiphany, and his life was changed from the inside out. Luther said this about that experience, and I quote, he said, I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung wide open. Wow. That is the power of the gospel of God. Martin Luther's faith journey reminds us that generally speaking, there are two ways that people engage or approach the living God. Some approach him by faith, but others, sadly, by their works, by what God has done or what they do, by God's righteousness or their own righteousness, by God reaching down or man reaching up. Like many in America, 
Luther was imprisoned by a works righteousness approach to his relationship with God, and it frustrated him. He was taught to perform, keep the law morally and ethically, to earn God's favor, to accomplish salvation by living ethically or righteously. However, one verse changed Luther's life forever, and I would contend changed Christianity and its course for the past 500 years. Now, if you downloaded your digital guide, there is a nice sermon outline for you to take notes. We always encourage that. And this morning, the outline is going to be real simple. I'm going to ask and answer three questions uh, about this remarkable statement, the righteous shall live by his faith. And so question number one, what is genuine saving faith? That is an all-important question. Now, let's begin by going back to Habakkuk 2.4 because there was an incredible contrast between King Nebuchadnezzar and God's prophet Habakkuk. Look at verse 4, if you would. Look, his ego is inflated. And we're talking now about uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He is without integrity, but then the contrast. But the righteous one will live by his faith. This verse describes two categories of people. First, those who are prideful, those who are puffed up because they trust in their efforts, in their achievements, in their accomplishments and righteousness. The book of Daniel describes Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Listen to the words of the king, and I quote Daniel 430. Is this not Babylon the great that I have built by my vast power to be a royal residence and to display my majestic glory? Friends, you want to talk about arrogance. You want to talk about pride. Please don't miss this truth, though. Nebuchadnezzar's problem is humanity's problem. It's our problem. It's my problem. Why do I say that? Because 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17, some powerful truths. Let me share that with you. John said, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with this lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. The pride of life kills, it destroys. It's one of the three great categories of sin. Both Ellen and I grew up in western New York, and as we all know, New York, especially New York City, got hit hard with the COVID-19 virus. About a month ago, our governor, Governor Cuomo, uh, had a news broadcast, and he shared some very significant words that really created what I would call a firestorm 
all across the nation and beyond. Let me share with you what he said regarding the COVID-19 vaccination. He said, the number is down in New York because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. That's how it works. It's simple math. And I would like to just humbly ask the governor, how does he know God is not involved? How does he know faith and prayer is not involved? How does he sit on the throne and arrogantly make such statements? I hurt. I pray. Because humility in leadership goes a long way, but it illustrates what Proverbs 6 says. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable. And the number one thing in Proverbs 6 is this. And it's remarkable, arrogant eyes. What Proverbs is describing what the Lord hates is pride, haughtiness, arrogance. Why? Because we become so self-sufficient. It's our achievements, our accomplishments, our uh, performance that, that counts instead of looking up as, as people in need of the Lord. Now, however... The second category of people is described in Hebrews, in Habakkuk 2.4, and it's beautiful, my friends. It's those who are made righteous by God through a humble disposition of faith in God. Let me say that again. The second category are those who are made righteous by God through a humble disposition and faith in God. Now, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture that describes this humble faith disposition is found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and on. And I just want to paraphrase a parable of what Jesus taught. He said there was two men who came to the temple to worship God. One was a Pharisee, very religious. One was a tax collector, quote-unquote, very sinful. And they both come into the temple, and they're praying. And the Pharisee looks towards heaven, and he starts recounting his spiritual resume and achievements. In fact, he thanks God that he's not like other sinners, especially that sinful tax collector. He says, you know, Lord, uh, we're called to fast once a week. I fast twice a week. Way to go, spiritually righteous. You know, we're called to give. I'm generous, Lord. He, he recounts his spiritual credentials as he looks to heaven. But then in contrast, there's this tax collector, this sinner, who just humbly bows his head before heaven. He won't even look up. He beats his chest because he's penitent. He's repentant. He sees his sin for what it is, like Luther discovered. And then he cries out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says these remarkable words. Jesus said, I tell you, the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
What is beautiful about that is Jesus honored this humble, broken sinner who by faith cried out to God for mercy. What a remarkable contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and Habakkuk. A man of pride, a man of achievement, a man of arrogance was the king and the prophet basically living by faith, trusting God, believing God. Undoubtedly, one of the best pictures of this truth that people become righteous by faith in God is found all the way back in the book of Genesis. Let me summarize Genesis 11 and 12 for you. God enters enemy territory. He calls a man named Abram from Ur the Chaldees. We know a lot about Ur the Chaldees from the Bible and also from history. It was pagan. It was idolatry. That's what Abram grew up in. He was a pagan, idolatrous man. In other words, he had no spiritual credentials whatsoever. And yet by God's grace, God calls him and says, Abram, I'm going to bless the socks off you. Your name's going to be great. You're going to have many descendants. And Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed through your seed. That is a remarkable uh, invitation by God. So Abraham goes, and a few chapters later, a few years later in Genesis 15, Abraham's a bit discouraged, and he cries out to God. He says, God, I don't even have uh, someone to, for my inheritance. I don't have a descendant. I don't have a son. I just have a servant in my home. His name is Eleazar. Give me a son. And so God fulfills his promise that Abraham would be blessed with an heir. And so he puts him asleep, and he takes him outside, and he gives him a vision at night. He says, Abraham, look into the stars of heaven, and if you could count them, that's going to be the number of your descendants. Wow. Could you imagine having that encounter with the Lord and that kind of vision? How did Abraham respond? It's a remarkable verse, and it is a key verse in all the Bible, connected to Habakkuk 2.4 and then to the New Testament. In Genesis 15.6, Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited to him as righteousness. Friends, the importance of this verse cannot be overstated. Abraham is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. The Apostle Paul and James both built their theology of salvation by grace through faith alone on this foundational truth. Let me show that to you. In Romans chapter 4, Paul wrote these words. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then in Galatians Paul wrote, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons and daughters. How beautiful. We're part of this faith family. James, the brother of Jesus, beats the same theological drum when he says this, James 2, 23. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Abram, 
like Martin Luther, learn that righteousness is a gift from God to those who put their faith, their trust in him. Luther, like so many today, worked hard to live righteous. He performed his religious duties. He tried to keep the law perfectly. He tried to check every moral and ethical box. But thankfully, Luther realized that all his efforts ultimately left him spiritually bankrupt. Then, like the sinful tax collector, what did Martin Luther do? He cries out to the Lord, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And at that moment, he was made righteous. He was born again. You know, friends, I can identify with Luther. I grew up in the institutional church. I grew up serving. I grew up believing this as Luther did. If the good outweighed the bad, somehow maybe, just maybe God would accept me. But it begs the question, my friend, and the, the question is this, how good does a person have to be? That's a great question. Luther discovered it. I discovered it. Jesus taught in Matthew 5:48. listen to these words. They're powerful. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think you would agree with me that is a sobering statement. And when I look into the mirror, no, I don't see perfection. I see my sin, my, my thoughts, my speech, my actions, my attitudes. I fall short of God's glory. And can I humbly suggest you do too? And so if that's true, folks, there has to be another way. And the question is this, what is that way? Well, we have the answer this morning. It's Genesis 15.6, it's Habakkuk 2.4, it's Romans 1.17, it's Galatians 3.11, it's Hebrews 10.38, the righteous will live by faith. What is faith? Faith is believing, faith is receiving, faith is committing, faith is trusting Jesus, the one who did a work for us that we could not do for ourselves. One of my favorite uh, stories of genuine faith comes from my stepfather, Tom. Uh, some years back, uh, before Dad uh, went to be with the Lord, uh, Mom wanted to go to Europe and travel some. But Dad uh, just had no interest in traveling, especially flying on a plane. And so he believed in his head that, yes, you know, the, the plane could get him from continental North America to, to Europe, but he couldn't trust, he couldn't commit in his heart. He wanted no part of it. Well, finally, mom says, you know, I'm going. Well, dad recalibrated. I'm not letting her go alone. I'm going with her. And so he got his ticket, boarded the plane, sat down, strapped in, and what did he do? He committed. He trusted the pilots, the mechanics, the jet engine. He trusted the airplane to get him from point A to point B. He knew it could happen. He saw it thousands of times, right? It's empirical that planes can get that job done. But when it went from his head to his heart, when he committed, when he trusted, when he believed and stepped on the plane, wow, true faith, genuine faith was exercised. 
That is why 1 John 5, 4 through 5 teaches this. It's powerful. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so a few questions this morning. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you been made righteous in God's eyes through faith in Christ? Do you have a right standing with God through Jesus? That's the ultimate question today. Now, question number two, how do our works relate to living by faith? In other words, what about fruitfulness? What about faithfulness? What about living a life of obedience? Where does that fit into this faith journey? That's the question I want to answer now. Well, beautifully, not only does Scripture use Abraham as the ultimate example of being made righteous by God apart from works, it also uses him to demonstrate obedience that comes from, that is a byproduct of our faith. I love that. And so we look to Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. What's really cool in Hebrews 11, at least 20 times, we have this phrase, living by faith. We have example after example. And so in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, we read this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, notice the next word, obeyed, and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> I love that. No GPS, no AAA trip ticket. God says, go, I'm going to show you, and he obeyed. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so the writer to Hebrews uses Abraham to demonstrate that real faith affects what we do and affects what we become. Again, in Hebrews 11, the idea of uh, living faith is expressed over 20 times. These men and women mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith were ordinary people like you, like me, who did extraordinary things for God. How? By faith. The prophet Habakkuk also demonstrated a faith that works, a living faith, a faith in action. We looked at chapter 1 where Habakkuk's faith was challenged and he's questioning God. But then his faith takes him into the tower and he waits on God. He's listening to God's voice. He's recalibrating. Then he gets a, a sense of God's glory. The earth will, will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Then in chapter 3, there's a relinquishing of his doubts and struggles and questions resulting in prayer and praise and standing in awe of God. That is a beautiful expression of a living faith. The Apostle Paul helps us out here too in Romans chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In fact, it's a bookend concept. He opens and closes uh, his book with what's called Obedience of Faith. Track with me, please. Paul wrote, we have received grace 
and apostleship through him to bring about, notice the next phrase, the obedience of faith among the nations. What a powerful, powerful statement. Paul taught obedience comes from and is a result of genuine faith. The Bible makes it clear that our actions are a more reliable indicator than our words. Where do I get that from? Well, again, back to the apostle James, brother of Jesus. James wrote, listen, I will show you faith from my works. Powerful statement. Therefore, I would contend that faith is not something we just intellectually believe or simply talk about. It is something we practice. It is something we do. Analogous to my stepfather, he believed a plane could get him from here to there, but when he stepped on the plane, when he trusted the plane, he demonstrated he had real faith. Let me give you a few other examples. For instance, Jesus taught it is better to give than to receive. If you and I believe that, we will live generously with our time, treasure, talent, and touch. If we believe that nothing of eternal importance happens outside of prayer, we will prioritize prayer. If we believe that marriage is a sacred institution between one man and one woman coveting for life, you know what we'll do? We will fight for our marriage. And if we need counseling, we will go. If we need help, we will get it. But we will fight for our marriage. That's faith in action. The Bible calls this turning our theology, what we believe, into biography, how we live. I want to go back to Martin Luther. Again, a man who discovered the just shall live by faith. It transformed him from a works righteousness to trusting in uh, God's great grace alone. But Luther also said this about works, and I quote. It's powerful. He says, faith is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. That is a powerful statement by the great reformer. Friends, 2 Corinthians 5.17 sums it all up. Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, The old is passing away, the new is coming. New creations in Christ Jesus. One of the things that uh, is evidenced in genuine faith is how God transforms us from the old to the new. And this morning, we're going to pause to uh, experience some people's testimonies through what we call cardboard testimonies. And so let's just uh, be inspired by God's transformational work, genuine faith that transforms people's lives. Let's take a look. Finally, question number three. How do I put my faith and trust in Christ? Friends, I believe with all my heart the best news you and I will ever hear is Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by his faith. And so this morning... 
I just want to close with two simple examples from the New Testament of people who put their faith in Christ, and boy, how it changed their future. So let's start out with what I would call the doubters. Some of you watching this morning, you know, might be doubting, might be struggling. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, there's an individual in Scripture known as Doubting Thomas, and his story is pretty remarkable. In John chapter 20, uh, Jesus rose from the grave. He's appearing uh, to a lot of people, 11 different occasions we have recorded. Well, he appeared to his disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. And when the guy says, listen, Thomas, we saw the risen Lord, (laughs) he's like, you guys are nuts. He said, unless I see the wounds, the hands and the side, I will not believe. He made that declaration. About eight days later, the Bible says Jesus showed up and appeared to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, here's here's my wounds. You, You can check out my side. And here's what happened to Thomas. He knelt down. He said, my Lord and my God. He believed. He committed He trusted, he became a worshiper of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. However, Jesus said this about that situation with Thomas. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Friends, Jesus is talking about you and me. We're not like Thomas, we weren't there, we don't physically see his resurrected body, but we can, with eyes of faith, go back 2,000 years and like Thomas, bow the knee, my Lord and my God, worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, put our faith and trust in him. So that's for the doubters. Now how about for those who just feel like it's, it's truly about works? It's truly about what I do, how I achieve, how I perform, how I make the grade. Well, one final story from the New Testament. Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves. These were capital criminals in Rome. They were hanging on the cross already as Christ was put up. And in the midst of that situation, a capital criminal cries out to Jesus and says these words, Jesus, please remember me when you enter paradise. And Jesus said these powerful words to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Folks, those are remarkable words. Now think about it. Here's this capital criminal charged with a crime. He's paying for it. There's nothing he could have done to earn his salvation. He was a sinner and he knew it. He couldn't perform. He couldn't achieve. He couldn't make the grade. He couldn't work. But one thing he could do was cry out to Jesus by faith. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's powerful. That demonstrates everything we've talked about this morning. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That is a beautiful truth. One final verse in closing. John, the beloved friend and apostle, said this in John chapter 1, verse 12. He said, but to all who did receive him, He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. This morning you may be watching saying, wow, 
I think I have the head knowledge, but I'm not sure I had the heart knowledge. I'm not sure I've committed, trusted, believed, and received. And I want to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. I want to go all in with Jesus. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. Well, friends, if that's your desire this morning, I celebrate that. And it's pretty simple. The thief on the cross cried out to Jesus, remember me, Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if it's your desire this morning to call upon the name of the Lord, I would love to lead you in a prayer of uh, salvation, a prayer expressing your heart's desire, your faith to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Bow with me in prayer, please. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, for sending your son to die on the cross, to save me from my sin. And Father, today I turn from my sin and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for giving me the gift of the Holy Spirit, for making me righteous through Christ's work at Calvary. Today, Father, by faith, I receive Jesus Christ, and I pray in his name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we are so very happy for you. We would love to follow up with you and uh, encourage you in your faith journey. So you can go to our website, connect with us there through the prayer pray page, and we'll, we'll respond. You can connect through Facebook Live in the chat room. And again, we will do our best to resource you. Please tell someone, a friend, a family member of this most important decision in life. What a joyful, joyful occasion. One of the things we like to do is we like to hang out a little bit longer on Facebook Live. We call it uh, Sacred Space. So if you have comments, thoughts, prayer requests, please share those with us. And, um, and again, I thank you uh, for joining us for worship, and uh, may God bless you.